I say we take off and nuke the entire site from orbit. It's the only way to be sure. All right, folks, here we go. Next seminar up February 9th through the 11th, then April 12th through the 14th, and finally June 7th through the 9th. Coach's workshop with spots still available on February 3rd on Long Island. This is for folks that want to get better at understanding the methods and principles of starting strength and how we use those for getting people stronger. This is open to personal trainers, group fitness instructors, or folks that just want to get better at coaching the lifts. There is a discount available for active trainers, so check out the link for details. Self-Sufficient Lifter Camp, March 16th in Wichita Falls, and then another one May 18th in Omaha, Testify Strength and Conditioning. Lift Shoot Fight is back May 18th and 19th. This covers all of the lifts, some combatives, and some basic pistol work. Press and Bench Press Camp, July 20th in Indianapolis, Strong Strength Indianapolis. Then we have a couple deadlift and power clean camps. January 27th in Indianapolis with a couple spots left at Strong Strength Indianapolis, and then April 6th in Queens. Bunch of squat and deadlift camps added to the list. March 9th with a couple spots left in Cincinnati at Strong Strength Cincinnati, then April 6th in Indianapolis, April 6th in Phoenix. Not on the board yet, but soon to be April 6th in Boise at Starting Strength Boise, and then November 2nd in Indianapolis. And finally, our new Rehab Injury and Pain Management Camp going on February 3rd in Chicago at Starting Strength Chicago. This is to teach folks how to deal with chronic pain and injury, rehab those things with modifications using the basic barbell lifts or modifications of those basic barbell lifts to get you back on track. Will Morris and Nick Delgadillo will be hosting that camp. Speaking of starting strength gyms, a couple of announcements. Colorado Springs is now open, and starting strength St. Louis has a location and is in the middle of build-out, so for more information on any of those gyms or just what else is going on in the starting strength gyms world, head over to startingstrengthgyms.com and check out the link for details. And as usual, for more information on anything that I've talked about, head over to startingstrength.com and check out the right-hand side of the homepage. From the Asgard Company Studios in beautiful Wichita Falls, Texas, from the finest mind in the modern fitness industry, the one true voice in the strength and conditioning profession, the most important podcast on the internet. Ladies and gentlemen, starting Strength Radio. Welcome back to Starting Strength Radio. How are you? You okay? It's important to me that you're okay. Really, it's not, but, you know, it seems like a polite thing to say. And, you know, it's important to keep up these uh, these appearances, right? You know, I could let these things right here get to me. But not you. Comments. Comments. From the haters. Could let them get to me. But not me. Nope. No, I'm the consummate professional. <coughs> consummate professional. Always in a good mood. Always ready and eager to engage with everybody that wants to engage. Positively and constructively. Positively and constructively. For example, the guy that wrote this. Please rename the show as Get Fat with Rip. <laughs> Is that the cooking show? Yeah. Nice. Let's make good. a sandwich show. Nice. Here's, a, here's another one. Uh, thank you for getting Rip out of bed to make this video. <laughs> I 
I'm so glad they're these are good. No, <laughs> oh, that's all of the cooking show videos. Uh, all right, now here's one: learning to press the starting strength method. No need to bounce. Don't cheat. <laughs> Didn't we explain the reason we start that with a dynamic hip movement? Yeah, you're assuming people watch the video. I'm assuming people understand explanations when they're presented in a cogent manner. All right, let's see. Here's one about the putting the plates on the bar wrong way. This might be the dumbest video on YouTube. It is our most popular, so. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got to be able to get it off of the table in one movement, yeah. don't I? <clears throat> All right, now, fix your knee slide video. Take the knees out of a quad exercises as much as possible? Four question marks. <laughs> this fucking moron thinks the squat is a quad exercise. Isn't that amazing? All this time we've spent trying to describe these things accurately and some stupid something. Oh, All right. Uh, the process is the goal. Uh, and the comment is, by process, he means process of becoming obese. Mm, good one. Okay. Well, here's a good one. Introduction to Shotguns, Part 1, Starting Strength Network Previews. Why are there guns on the gym channel? <laughs> For the same reason, your question is on the floor now. Because that's where we want them. Right? All right, here's... Uh, I guess this is Ray. Common mistakes in the deadlift, how to fix them. Hard to find an instructor that's not so insecure that he has to dye his arms blue, trying to say something that his words and actions don't. Lack of confidence doesn't make a good teacher. Which video was this? Apparently, Ray lacks confidence. Yeah, yeah. Which video was this? Uh, Common talk, mistakes in the deadlift and how to fix them. He's talking about raised tattoos. So oh. he's dying his arms blue. Oh. Arms blue. I, 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 yeah, that went way over my head. Huh. All right. Tattoos always equals lack of confidence. Yeah, yeah, because when, when I talk to Ray, the first thing I think of is, man. I wish this guy was more confident, confident yeah. in things he said. Right, he's, <laughs> he seems like a Sunday school teacher. Yeah, he's just, often, you, know? you know, just really meek, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to listen soft to him. Soft-spoken. Yes, soft very soft-spoken. Soft -spoken. Lacks you know, assertiveness. You know, yeah. has zero wisdom. <laughs> Never been anywhere, done anything. Never done no anything experience. in his life. Yeah. No real world the guy experience. Needs help. Everything he does is tentative. I, I've never called. I've never called him once to say, "Hey, man, can I talk to you real quick?" <laughs> Not once. <laughs> All right. Here's uh, some fucking idiot. Rip is deathly ill. His arms are crossed because. Without a dosing of alcohol, he can no longer resist the involuntary pincer-like movements that so cruelly haunt his hands. 
That's actually kind of fun. That's a really good one. <laughs> is that on the cooking show? What's what's that on? What video that's is that on? That's Muscle Magazine. Oh, okay. Then and now. He's rubbing his beard a lot more, too. <laughs> that's What's that indicative okay. of a deeply worried mindset. Ah, man. <laughs> you know, when I'm, when I'm rubbing my beard because i got dandruff under Because it's dry as fuck outside. <laughs> it's dry. Well, not right now. Not right now. now. Not right but now. it has been. Right it now. has been. It has been. So that concludes this installment of... Comments from the haters. <laughs> Deathly ill. All right. Oh, did you notice that Bok Choi's got a little hat on? See Bok Choi? He's getting upgrades. He was cold. Yeah. Steph made him a little hat. He's so cute. <laughs> And his friend Monkey takes care of him and tries to keep him warm, but he just, it's been so chilly around here. He needed a little hat. <laughs> okay. Now, what are we supposed to do today? We're supposed to do Q&A? Paper yep, Q&A? that's right. That would explain the presence of the paper with questions on the table here. Paper Q&A. All right. Well, I guess we just dive right into that then. Unless you guys got anything else you want to talk about first. Nope. Nope. Yeah, got nothing. nothing. Got nothing. Well, we were talking about earlier uh, trying to do another segment of Ask a Jew, but we couldn't think of any Jews. To call. Do we want to double down on this right now? Ray's. <laughs> Ray's busy. Do we know any other Jews? Zero. Zach, the Jew. He's still in Israel, though, and the, I'm not going to. The artist formerly known as Zach, the Jew. As Zach, the Jew. Well, we could talk to him, I guess, but I don't know his number. Now, we'll have to think about that. We'll have to revisit that segment in a in an upcoming episode of Starting Strength Radio. We don't want you to think we've forgotten about it, though. All right. Now, questions and answers. This is where you guys email us your questions. We print them out on sheets of paper. Lay them on the desk here. Sort through them to remove just the nonsense. And then read the remaining uh, questions that have passed muster. And uh, try our best to make, you know, responsible content out of this. Okay. All right, so James Rogers happens to be first here. According to the IPF rulebook, the deadlift is complete when the knees are locked in a straight position and the shoulders are back. There is nothing in the rulebook about the plates actually having to leave the floor. Now, he's right about that. 
What do you think will happen when we eventually get a lifter who is proportioned to use a sumo stance and get to lockout without breaking a bar off the ground? Will the IPF have to fix sumo like they did with the bench arch problem? How would they fix that without getting rid of sumo and upsetting big sumo? Or will they accept that the 3,000-pound deadlift is their new lord and master <coughs> and politely clap? That's what they'll do. That's what they'll well, do. Well, I mean, that would be super easy. They would just have to write in a rule, the weight has to leave the floor. They won't do that. Oh, it not. was super easy to fix Sumo it's, it's and the super bench easy too, to fix sumo. They chose not to. Mm-hmm. Thirty-five well, but, years I'm, ago, they failed to do that. I'm not know? arguing. Uh, I'm not arguing that they're going to fix it. <laughs> no, I'm they're arguing that it would be super easy yeah. to fix. Well, it now, would how, have been super easy to fix the sumo problem entirely by saying that the deadlift must be properly executed with the hands gripping the bar outside, outside the, the width of the stance. <clears throat> yeah, and they failed to do that. Yeah. So as a result. What you have is videos on YouTube of lightweight women with a sumo stance, little short girls with sumo stance, moving the bar one inch and getting white lights on a deadlift. You've seen those, right? Yes, of course I have. Everybody's seen those. And, you know, what's, what's, I mean, all you have to do is just widen a little bit more and just start pulling on the bar and lock out your knees and your hips. And there's no requirement in the rules. That's absolutely true that the bar has to leave the floor. It doesn't say that. The rule says gripped with an optional grip in both hands and lifted until the lifter is standing erect. So doesn't lifted imply the weight has that to the come weight up. has to come up? Well, it doesn't, but it doesn't, <clears throat> it doesn't stipulate to that. If you're lifting a weight, it has to come up. Do our rules... You're lifting the weight if there's a bend in the bar. You're applying some kind of tension yeah, to the bar. But you haven't lifted the weight. It's still on the ground. So well, you... Uh, you know, this is going to require three judges <laughs> to agree to that definition. Well, we've got three right here. I would, I would argue that to lift a weight, it would have to come off the ground. Well, I might argue that too, but I would argue that a deadlift is properly performed with the hands outside the width of the stand. Well, yeah, but, All, but we're arguing the rules that the we're looking rules, at. The way they're stated. If you're uh, lifting something, it has to come off the ground. If you pulled a deadlift one inch off the floor. You have lifted the weight. You have lifted the weight. Yeah, we're arguing what's in the rules. That means you'd have to lift the weight. You'd have to break Well, it all the they floor. would need to do is under causes for disqualification is add one that says the plates don't leave the floor. No. <clears throat> but I mean, uh, well, that would require them to actually review the technical of rules. And I don't think they're going to do it. I would like to. I'd like to think about how that would happen. You'd have to have a very short person, short person, with short legs, and uh, almost a very, in a split, a super wide, almost short legs, split. long arms. Man, I think if life has dealt you that fucking hand, <laughs> you should you be able to it. do it. You deserve to have a three thousand pound. <laughs> Right. Deadlift on your but yeah, but again, I, I argue the fact that it, it states the weight has to be lifted <coughs> means the plates have to come off the floor. Let's look at the strength lifting rules and see what they say. Well, strength we might- lifting stipulates to uh, the position of the feet with respect to the hands. I know we're talking about the plates leaving the floor. Yeah. Though. Oh, oh no, we didn't say anything about that because who would have uh, who would have argued? 
James Rogers, uh, apparently. Fuck. <laughs> uh, that. There's another powerlifting question in here that I thought I saw earlier. When's the strength lifting meet in May? Is that suits right? and wraps. We having one in, yeah, I think it's May. Pull up the rules right now. Let's take a look. We might have to oh, <clears throat> tell our friend Jordan to revise them before James Rogers shows up and tries to not lift tries the bar to off actually the floor. Do a deadlift without actually lifting. That's the right. Bar off. All right. Uh, so here's a follow-up powerlifting question again. Uh, Rip, what are your thoughts on powerlifting gear used, such as bench shirts, squat suits, etc.? I spoke to a powerlifter recently, and he told me these can add as much as 100 pounds to the bench and the squat. Do you consider these to be useful tools similar to a belt? There's another powerlifter I spoke with that only lifts raw, no assistance other than belt, and considers the other guys to be cheating. Well, a belt uh, is a passive aid. The belt doesn't lift the weight. The belt doesn't act on a joint in the same way that a squat suit and a bench shirt does. Uh, squat suits and bench shirts resist flexion in the hips and the shoulders and elbows. And as a result of that, they actively participate in adding to the amount of weight you can lift with them on. All right. Now, this is a problem in that when this equipment became popular and when it was invented back in the 70s, back in the 80s especially, the equipment manufacturers <coughs> got into the powerlifting meat business and created a, uh, a a competition venue where their equipment was legal and, and they specifically created uh, a market for this stuff and the IPF allowed them to do it right USPF allowed them to do it and it's uh you know, it's a damn shame. Um, but it's, uh, you know, it's it's just so embedded in the in the deal right now that there's not going to be any way to get rid of it. I think that uh, raw lifting has gotten a lot more power, a lot more popular because of the, you know, because this this other thing is just such obvious bullshit that you know, what are you going to do? I really wish that uh, you know. high schools would move that would start a raw division, and I guarantee you, every single student would start lifting in the raw division, and equipped lifting would just disappear. They don't have any raw in high school. Not that I'm not that I'm aware of. I don't high think so. school powerlifting is not worth discussing on this program. <laughs> I think it is. It's I, very important. I, 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 it is an absolute. It is these people. These high school football coaches are not intelligent. They're not as intelligent as Monkey 
this young man right here is much better at administering anything is those people i high school football coaches are just well we, we've established you know, if you're that. a high school football coach and you're offended good we, good we, we've established that many i'm insulting times. you because you're a stupid motherfucker all right. We've established that many, many times, and yes. that's not that's not the point. The point is that there's a lot of kids being introduced into powerlifting, and they're being told you have to wear a suit, you have to wear a wrap. That's wraps. right. And who's telling them that? Oh, well, it's uh, the fact that it doesn't even exist. That uh, raw lifting. Who's telling exist. them that are these stupid fuckers in high school football uh, coaches? That's that's who's telling them all this shit. I mean, you got people doing partial reps with squat suits on and partial benches with bench shirts on and it's like this there's no other way to do this you have to have a shirt and a suit uh in order to even handle this barbell and it's they assume yeah i assume it's part of the deal you got 120 pound girls Mm -hmm. squatting 315 um and and they don't know any better you know you get i don't know any better i mean it's their fault i went through it i went through it you know and i you know i was i was told as you know a freshman in sophomore hey i need you to stay at this weight because you need to lift in this and that's done in my growth junior and senior same fucking thing and we wore suits we wore wraps um and looking back on it i mean it's practically child abuse <laughs> yeah sure. yeah it is it really is i mean to, to, to tell it's borderline to, child abuse. to tell to it tell a, a growing young man to say hey i need you to not gain weight well uh, there's no there's nobody more guilty of that than wrestling. Yeah, the wrestling. I completely People agree with that. Just, I completely you know, agree with that. I know you weigh 150 pounds right now, but I need you at 118. Oh yeah. I need you at 118. If you want to wrestle on the team, you need to be at 118. I remember going to, to tell a 16 year old yeah. kid that. You know that is. I remember. Yeah. I remember being on a on buses going to regional or state, spitting in a cup, hadn't eaten for two or three days. And I'm spitting in a fucking cup and wearing a sweatsuit to or the, the sweat trying bag, to make weight. Trying to make weight. Yeah. This is just this is this this is child abuse. And people don't ever grow out of that shit. There's adults that just reflexively because they've signed up for a lifting meet or they've signed up for a jujitsu competition that they reflexively are gonna cut weight. Mm-hmm. It's like <clears throat> you know, you, you you aren't good enough to cut weight. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit. No. You know? No, your performance in this little informal meet is irrelevant. Right. Now, if you want to do it, that's good. We're happy that you want to compete. But don't harm yourself physically in order to do so. This is this is absurd. It's just absurd, and I'm telling you, it's these high school football coaches yep. that that have power over these kids – and they shouldn't have power over the kids. I can't think of a better reason to homeschool your kids than high school football coaches. That's right, boys and girls. I said that. I mean it sincerely. These people are dangerous. They're dangerous to your kids. And if you let your kids be around them, then the, ultimately the responsibility lies with you. Because you should have known better than that don't just you know follow the rules rules are that your kid has to go to the public schools rules are that your kid has to play football don't, don't 
that's, those aren't the rules. That's just what we do. And it doesn't make any sense. And it's harmful. Don't do it. All right? Now, look, I didn't ask you to have kids. Then I come to you and said you need to shed out three or four kids. No, I did not. You know, you want kids? You've got little human beings here, and they have to be cared for. It's a responsibility. And take it seriously. But if you leave your kids in the hands of high school football coaches, that's that's uh, that's bad. It's a real bad deal. All right, now. Rip, I recently turned 73 and am confronted with deterioration of my eyesight. My FAA medical exam examiner has informed me that I will not pass my May 2024 flight physical unless I have cataracts removed, which should result in a minimum of 2040 corrected vision in my left eye and slightly better in my right eye. After consulting with the ophthalmologist, I have elected to have the surgery since I'm not prepared to give up recreational flying. Well, I mean, if you've got cataracts, you need to have them fixed because whether you're recreationally flying or not, you do enjoy seeing things, right? And, uh, you know, I've, I've talked to people about cataract surgery. I don't have any myself, but uh, cataract surgery is good surgery. 2023 it's one of the few things that's actually real real good that has developed um like the future should develop i mean they can fix these things up and take out your lenses and replace your lenses and you'll have vision like you had when you were 10 you know and uh, you won't regret having had it done but he's asking about the, the guidelines for recovering from the surgery. I note that it recommends refraining from heavy lifting for a few weeks while the eyes heal. Since the procedures for each eye are done separately and two weeks apart, the few weeks recovery for each eye could create a prolonged period away from deadlift, squat, press, and bench. Do I have any thoughts on recovery period needed before returning to even light lifting? All right. If you're going to have... I uh, wait. So, I had corrective surgery. I had both my eyes done at the same time, and then right. I wait, went back and had my other eye done. Right. And well, you, you know, just said you had both eyes done at the same time. Same time. And then I went back and had another eye, my eye done again. A third procedure. I've had three procedures. All right. Okay. So, and you know, I think I took a week and a half, two weeks off before I got back under a bar. Yeah. And, and, and the optometrist or whoever's doing it, um, they're, they're going to tell you you need to take out six weeks. Right. And I'm not telling you to get under a bar after right. a week and, and a half. They're but they're covering their ass they're covering and all their that other stuff. I understand all that. All right. But let's say that you have your first procedure done. Let's say David has his first procedure done, and he waits two weeks. He has the second procedure done. It's four weeks. And then he waits another two weeks. It's four weeks. He waits four weeks, and he starts back training. He's be fine. I think he'll be fine. Yeah. That that's what but I. Even if he waits six weeks, he'll be fine. All right. Look, you you <laughs> you have to see. You, you have to see. <laughs> and you're going to train for the rest of your life. You're going to yes. train the rest of your life. What's a six week? six weeks off? It's not, you know, the end of the goddamn world. Okay. Mm. Just do what you're supposed to do in this. 
you know, and don't don't risk the operation. Don't try any PRs. You know, when you come back, just get under the bar, do one thirty-five for three sets of five, and just get back moving and shit. You know? That was going to be my second point. Even and if he did wait the time, he'll be fine. Just, just, just take it easy. Yeah. You know, you're seventy-three. He's not getting paid to lift. I don't think so. No, yeah. you're not getting paid to lift. You're seventy-three, and you, you uh, have. You have invested in your training, and now it's time for you to cash in on that investment, all right? You take four to six weeks off after the first procedure. You're not going to wither away to nothing. That's not how it works. You're going to retain the vast majority of your muscle mass, and you can pick it back up six weeks after the first surgery, and you'll be fine. Okay, so don't don't do anything stupid. You know, I'm, I'm not saying that you pander to the the fears of of doctors who don't know what the hell we do. They have no idea what we do. You know, and and just because you're squatting doesn't mean you're squatting something heavy. All right, but you get back into it slowly, and everything will be just fine. But just get this done. You know, if you're going to have your cataracts replaced, good for you, man. You're going to this. You're not going to regret having taken six weeks off your training to have this incredibly useful procedure performed. Okay. Now, let's see. Uh, Carl Ragavon or Jack Bissett says Carl Ragavon took me to a gay bar in London. Is there a Star Trek HR department where I can complain about this, or will I just have to live with what I saw there? All right, Jack, let me ask you a question. Did you not know when you went to the bar that it was a gay bar? Hey, nobody made him do anything. Nobody made you nobody, do anything. I mean, Carl didn't <coughs> make you with, go to the gay bar. And you're hanging out with Carl Ragavan. I mean, you didn't know that Carl was gay? <laughs> How do you miss that? I've been like, I have been to some shady places with Carl. Carl before. just goes wherever, man. He does. I, mean, I don't know that he's gay. Carl's a, he oh, Carl's a not, mess, Yeah, man. he's not I don't think he's gay. <clears throat> oh, he's probably not gay, but he's probably well, he has a wife. He's, he has a wife. he's sympathetic. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's European. He is he's European. a European man. He's from Europe. <laughs> and all of those people are a little light, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh shit alright let's see on a more Jesus. serious note owner of the gym I work at has just had his hip replaced any advice for him on getting back to training post-op yeah I start back training start back man how long ago do you have his hip replaced I think probably within two weeks of the operation you ought to be back under the bar at some capacity I mean they get you up the day of the surgery and walk you down the hall at the hospital. Yep. You know, they don't waste any time at all. They want you loading it. They want you moving on the thing as fast as they can get you that way. Well, help them out, man. Yeah, it may be, you, you probably are going to find that the deadlift is a little more accessible 
at first than to squat because of the range of motion and you did have your hip replaced. But you ought to be squatting back below parallel within four weeks of the surgery. And if you're if you're not, it's just because you didn't want to. Right? That's good surgery. And if the procedure was performed correctly, you're, you know, hip replacement's kind of like cataract surgery. We've come a long way with that. It's, you know, this is not like uh, what you, (laughs) this is not like what you experienced over the past three years with COVID-19. This is actual useful medical shit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, get him out of the bar. All right, let's see. Here's somebody asked, why all the hate on figure eight straps on deadlifts and rack pulls? I get it for PR singles, but why would they be bad for sets of five? I find them much easier to use and set up than regular straps. So this guy's into ease. He wants to do the easy thing. Well, I don't think I've ever fine. seen someone with figure eight straps that uh, has actually a secure grip on the bar. The answer is what is a figure eight strap? It's just a double loop, so it's like a fi- like an eight. It looks like a figure eight. You put your <clears throat> hand in one, so you don't have to deal with uh, running the, the thing the loose, around the and, loose ends of the. Yeah, it seems like a good idea, but. Um, the, the answer is that there's better ways to do it, like just the way that we show you. The way we show I you can, with a regular I can strap. Put a strap on in literally two seconds. Yeah. But, you know, you learn how to do it. I'm sorry, you don't want to have to learn how. That's what it sounds right? like. Right. You don't want to have to learn how, so just do it the easy way. Okay. And also, what, if he's, that's what you need to do is the easy way. And he, and here's the thing: um, if you are using straps for all your set of fives, and then you go to pull a heavy single and you have and you're not using straps your grip's not going to be there it's not that's what he's arguing like i can understand you know pulling heavy singles without straps but my set of five is easier with straps well you're not going to pull that heavy single without straps i don't know i think our position on straps is fairly consistent and fairly logical the the deadlift is a pulling exercise Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it trains your grip, but that's not the primary point of the movement for strength training. Now, we're not powerlifters, all right? We're, we're not taking you to a meet and doing third attempt deadlifts. That's not what we do. Uh, if you do an alternate grip or a hook grip, you can pull your third attempt deadlift. You have to practice all that, right? But the deadlift is a pulling exercise. And if you get to the point where you can't hold on to your second, to your fourth and fifth reps of a set of five, then you strap, because we're not going to artificially limit the weight of the deadlift with by by taking it up to the limit of your ability to grip the bar. That's what straps are for. That's why we use them. You'll notice we use them in rack pulls because rack pulls are an overload movement. And you shouldn't be able to hold on to a heavy rack pull without straps. If you can hold on to your rack pulls without straps, there's not enough weight on the bar. The rack pull's an overload movement. I mean, there's a there's a place for straps. 
And the best straps, we have found the best straps are a long piece of inch and a half heavy nylon webbing that you loop around your hands, loop around the bar, and you've got a secure grip on the bar. That I've got a you know, a sequence uh photograph of uh this in the book. How to put your straps on. Right, we've talked about it in videos. You know, we've discussed it on the website and you know, just go ahead and strap but figure eight straps. The worst strap I don't know what I've never used them. We've never even talked about figure eight, so there's no hate. I would rather see someone using figure eight, like leather figure eight straps, than using the, the straps that you see at the at the, the loop the commercial straps. gym yeah, the with ones, the loop. Yeah. That's, that's those are awful. stupid. That's just yeah. th- those don't work. Those don't work. You know, they might work on your thirty pound dumbbell dumbbell shit. Yeah, rows or something like that. But I, you know, they don't work for anything you actually need a strap for. Because they never get tight. You know, you run a, the end of the strap through a loop sewed into the other end of the strap. That's not a strap. It's not how they work. Oh. All right, now. We already talked about the IPF rule book deadlift thing. Yeah, the deadlift thing. Right, yep. Right. At the gym at work on the ship, this is Marty Fox, Popeye, right? <laughs> All we have for weights are these flat-sided dodecagonal, dodecagonal. I guess that's the way the word's pronounced, uh, plates. And whenever I attempt to do deadlifts with them, they never settle in the same spot that I pick them up from. No, yeah, it sucks. they won't. <laughs> so I have to readjust my stance on every rep, and I find that the disruption of the rhythm in a heavy set of five just kills a set. And that's absolutely a valid observation. What would be the lesser of two evils, dealing with readjusting my stance or deadlifting an inch or so higher from the pins like a very low rack pull? I understand that the latter, the later, the latter he means, cheapens the movement with abbreviated range of motion but man it is frustrating to deadlift for those things i Look, have a, i have a solution i have a very easy solution what pull the low rack pull and find something to stand on that that gets you that higher inch there that's an easy solution to that they also make a yeah, little it's, <clears> they also make a little on. attachment to those that you clamp on and it makes it round really yeah well, it's like it's that like seems a, kind of stupid i like rusty's idea <laughs> Uh, do the lowest rack pull you can and then shim the floor up under yeah. your feet. Yeah. And then you're pulling the same range of motion. Right? Yep. That's that's that's, that's the easy way to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I would uh I mean even if you cut off an inch It's not that big of a deal. It's not that big a deal. It's not that big a deal. You're on a ship. This is less than you know, ideal circumstances for training anyway. So it doesn't really make that much difference. There it goes. All right. Now, all right. Now, this is actually a good question. Our friend Maybach, who's added some very good content to the forum recently. I'm proud of him. Uh, asks an 
a, a good question. I'd very much like to hear an argument from the principle of the model for higher reps. Not higher reps in the sense of 8, 10, or 12, but for sets of 5 instead of triples or singles. It seems that the arguments made against sets of 10 could just as easily be applied to sets of 5. Is it just a matter of time efficiency? What are the trade-offs you make as you reduce rep ranges that outweigh the increase in weight? Well, I'll tell you. The argument for fives is largely an argument from experience with that particular rep range. Okay? Uh, And the argument goes that singles and doubles are just not enough the, the set's not long enough to apply enough work to the system apply enough stress to the system it's also not long enough for an effective exposure to coaching feedback if you are doing a set of, if you're doing a single and you set the bar bag down if you make an error when do we correct that even a double you make an error when do we correct that how long does the coach have to observe any problems that might have occurred during the execution of that double and uh, effectively correct your 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 technique sets of five lend themselves to a coaching environment far far better than singles doubles or even triples do now triples are 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 fine we are using at this point in time we're using triples five triples with our female lifters as opposed to to three sets of five with them after two three months of training because they're inefficient in terms of the amount of reps they can do with respect to their one rep max so um we expose them to a higher level of intensity with triples and get a similar training effect that males do out of three sets of five but the the basic uh argument here is that we know sets of five work because we have been using them effectively in gyms all over the world for the past hundred years. Sets of five have formed the basis of the vast majority of strong lifters training for a very, very long time, and they work. They work. They work better than eights, tens, twelves. Eights, tens, and twelves are just lightweights. And sets of five are are uh, they're useful to coach. They're useful to perform. They allow you to lift a heavy enough weight so that the fifth rep of that set is an actual it approaches a limit effort. Whereas uh, a heavy single or a heavy double, you know, it's just. It, Two reps is just not as much work as fives. <clears throat> Five seems to be the break-even point for what works and what doesn't work. You got anything to add to that? I well, mean, to take advantage of uh, uh, of singles, you have to be strong enough for them to produce a stress. When you're when you're not strong, singles don't produce enough stress. 
which means you're going to have to do a whole bunch of fucking singles. And even then, you're not getting the stress of a set of five. Yeah, you have to do, you end up having to do 10 singles. Yeah, and even then. I mean, how much time do you have you, to train yeah, today? Even yes, then, it, it might is. not be enough. The yeah. set of five, the set of five produces more stress. And that's, and by the way, that's, that's something that no one disputes. You can go into the uh, ACSM's uh, textbook and ACE textbook and look at it, and they'll say strength is best gained in the four to six rep range. That's, right. that's commonly known even with the exercise science people. Yeah, I mean, when even the exercise science people understand this. Yeah, it's not even worth This is pretty right. fundamental. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's, it's high enough force production. You get enough, uh, enough stress and enough reps. Um, it, it's the, at, it's at the break-even point between effective heavy stress and effective practice. Right. Of the movement patterns. That's the break-even point. There, it's that suffice. There's an energy systems component to it as well. There has to be. Sure. So, <clears throat> yeah. It's, it's just a sweet spot for all of those things a- at a high load. That's, yes. the, that's the important thing to understand. Heavy sets of five are – that's where everybody gets strong. Yep. Heavy sets of five. It's just the – that's the history. Yep. That's, that's the phenomenology. Phenomenology is that three sets of five works. Or another way, to, another way to think about it is that beyond five reps, uh, the force production capacity drops off so quickly that it r- fails to be enough stress to drive adaptation. Right. Well, and that, I mean, that's always, you know, as soon as you go to sets of eight, you're no longer doing shit to get strong. Right. And you so, know, yeah. the, one of the biggest ways to waste time <clears throat> at the g- in the gym while at the same time uh, torturing yourself psychologically is with heavy 20s. The super squats thing that that guy wrote. Well, they're just they're just twenties. They're not heavy. They're twenties. They're there's and, and I've done these and I and you know I've done all of this shit and that's how I know what works and what doesn't work. Twenties don't work. All right. One of the things that you'll notice about a set of twenty is that the third rep of the set of twenty moves at about the same bar speed as the twentieth rep of a set of 20. The difference is that the 20th rep feels like you're about to die because you've spent two minutes not breathing. Okay. You spent two minutes not breathing and it's, it's torture, but it's psychological torture. The, the goddamn things don't make you bigger. They don't make you stronger. And all of this high rep, bullshit that is so popular right now for hypertrophy is just the 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 extreme of end of that thing or the sets of 20 workout and it doesn't work doesn't make you bigger doesn't make you stronger it now it makes you tougher mentally and that might be useful but if it depends on what you're training for right Three limit sets of five makes you tougher mentally. You get down to the fifth rep of the third set of five, you've got to make a conscious decision to go down, take the bar down, and squat it back up, not knowing whether you can do it. Got to have some balls to do that. You know, I don't know if I can do this, but I'm going to try it anyway. All right, so if you want to train your gumption, that's the way to do that. But uh, 
in terms of, of uh, high rep sets, they're they're you're just lifting light weights, and light weights don't make you stronger. Now, why not triples? Well, there's a if you're tapering for a meet, the traditional way to taper for a meet has been to do triples, doubles, singles. And one of the reasons that that works, tapering for a meet, is because of the practice component that is necessary to prepare yourself for your third attempt heavy squat on the platform. You have to practice doing singles. They're not the same as a set of five. You can't think about them the same way as you do a set of five. And if you've not practiced your singles before you get to the meet, then you are not really prepared for your third attempt squat or bench or deadlift, either one. And my article on the website, uh, the two-factor model of sports performance, deals with some of those topics. And I'd advise you to read that. Okay, now let's see. Uh, What's the deal with Coach Chase? He just kind of appeared as a young We've been asking that forever. (laughs) We've been asking that forever. Yeah. (laughs) What's the deal with him? He just kind of appeared as a young kid in videos a while back and is now the vanilla gorilla. Does he actually have parents and a normal family, or was he an orphan that was purchased by the Asgard Company to be raised in WFAC as a science experiment? All of the above. <laughs> yeah, that's all true. Yeah. <laughs> all of that is true. You ever heard Montfort's story about Chase when he first met Chase? No. All right, so this is right when Montfort come back, uh, got out of uh, CrossFit. Right. So he's starting to actually strength train, right? And, you know, in CrossFit, if you squat 225, you're probably the strong. No, 315. You're the 275 strongest. 275 was his yeah. biggest squat, I remember. Yeah, if you, he said, he said we thought if you squatted 315, you're the strongest man alive. Right. So Montfort's in there, and he's, he's doing his presses. And, you know, he's, he's, like, pressing, like, 115 or some bullshit like that. And then Chase comes in, and he says, all I see is this, like, punk 16-year-old kid walk in, and he sets up a press bar right next to me, starts pressing. <laughs> and then he just immediately loads up 135, and he's like, Montfort's looking at him, and he presses that for another set of five, and loads on 225, and presses that for three, and Montfort just stops what he's doing, and is like, what the fuck is going on? And then 275 goes on the bar, and he presses that, <laughs> and then he puts 315 on there. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Montfort was like, who the fuck is this kid? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he... Uh yeah, we've still got that picture of him from junior high with his little Zundy junior yeah. high basketball uniform on when he was 12 or 13 or whatever he was. Such a nice little boy. Uh-huh. He still is a nice young man. He really is. He's a nice, nice young man. I'm proud that we. He's forever 23 in my brain. A, yeah, I think yeah, it's weird. <clears throat> I think I'm he's proud we had a hand shit. in his raising. Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a good guy. And, uh, you know, he just got married. Chase got married. How about that? That's pretty cool. How about cool. that? How about that? To a very, very good girl. Yes, as good we, girl. As yeah. far as we know. Just love her to death. So, uh, that's about Chase. Let's see. What's your primary? All right, here's Joe Nowacki. says, Rip, I recently went to my primary care doctor. That's always <laughs> a mistake. All right. Who expressed she was concerned about my blood pressure. 
which was measured between 135 over 80 and 150 over 80 on two separate visits. For reference, I am six foot, 190. I was careful to ask for the correct size cuff and to have the doctor repeat it personally. I definitely didn't trust the rooming person's technique. She didn't prescribe medication yet, but she did mention that it's most likely genetic and that I should take steps to lower it. Am I being paranoid for wanting to get this under control for fear of long-term complications? Joe, listen. Your blood pressure varies throughout the day. It varies throughout the week. It varies throughout the month. You have what is called here an N equals one piece of data. You have one data point. You have your blood pressure measured by idiots in a doctor's office once, twice. It's measured within 30 seconds of it. You, you, it, you don't have any data here. You don't know if your blood pressure is chronically elevated. You have no idea whether it's chronically elevated. Right? You know, if you slept bad the night before, your blood pressure is going to be elevated. If you trained heavy the day before, your blood pressure is going to be elevated. That's normal. It's normal for your blood pressure to be elevated the day after a heavy workout because higher blood pressure aids in perfusion of the tissues that are recovering from the stress. That's adaptive. That's normal. But, see, doctors are taught that A results in B. C results in D. Because they're, they're not educated, they're trained. Doctors are not educated, they're trained. I know this isn't true of all of them. But it's true of just damn near every one of the entry-level, uh, you know, primary care physicians. So, and uh, if you go in to the doctor's office and and your blood pressure is one sixty over one fifteen, chances are very good, and you're in good health. You're training, and you know, health. You're in good health. You're that doesn't necessarily indicate that you have hypertension. Not at all. So if you're worried it about it. It may indicate that you're afraid that he's going to tell you you have hypertension, which is not the same thing as having hypertension. Right? It's never a good idea to go off of one single data point, especially when it was uh, <clears throat> from a single doctor's visit. Anyway, if you are worried about it, what you do is get a blood pressure monitor. You can buy one on Amazon. You pay. F- you get what you pay for. So get one and measure your blood pressure over the course of two weeks. Every every as soon as you wake up, before you go to bed, whatever, and get an actual baseline for what's going on, and then worry about it if it's a problem. Right. <clears throat> Precisely. But you cannot go into the doctor's office. And let them put you on chronic medication for a situation that they have identified with one data point. If 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 I would have done that at thirty 
30 years old, I would have been put on statins at yep. 30. Oh, yeah. They just put everybody on statins. Oh, yeah. You know. And he was he was mad at me, like physically yeah. irritated with me when I said, I'm not doing that. Right. I had a kid come in the gym several years ago. Uh, this kid's like 26, you know, young man, bigger kid. Uh, you know, kind of a kind of socially awkward boy, but he was he was, you know, by all reckonings, he was, you know, average twenty six year old healthy kid, and uh, this kid had gone to one of the famously awful primary care physicians here in Wichita Falls. We've got some of the biggest fucking idiots in the universe practicing as primary care physicians here in Wichita Falls. This kid had gone into him and had and the guy had spent about two minutes with him in the in the examining room. And this kid left with a prescription for both statins and an SSRI. They have pre-filled sheets, I'm sure, on their <laughs> prescription pad. Saves time. Just put the know. name so you don't yeah. cut into the 45 seconds. Sending home on, <laughs> on, on Lipitor and Prozac. On the strength of two minutes worth of exposure to the patient. Now, God damn it. Easy ripping it, blood pressure. Is there a... Yeah. <laughs> The consummate professional. Is there a more <laughs> clear indication of malpractice than that? But that's the standard. Mm-hmm. That's the standard when you go to your doctor. Your family doctor is expected to do these kinds of things. And the reason for the two minutes, well, you had a whole hall full of patients to see that day to do the same thing to. Right? You know, these people are salesmen for Pfizer. That's all they are. They are salesmen. And it's it's just a damn shame that people trust them at all. I mean, you have have you people not learned anything over the past three years of this insane response to the flu? Have you not learned anything at all? I mean, you, you really had to have not been paying any attention if you haven't learned about the medical services industry over the past three years. This has been a terribly eye-opening event for a lot of people, and, uh, and it should have been. It damn sure should have been. But no, 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 your primary care doctor doesn't know anything more about you than she did before you got to the appointment that day. Isn't that interesting? All right, now, 
I've been lifting weights on and off since being a teenager. I'm currently 48 and have been consistently training now for the past 10 years, uh, having found starting strength about eight years ago. I've been responsible about the training, focusing on all the main starting strength lifts, including the power clean. I started competing in meets in 2020, and I do one, one contest per year. Using starting strength methods and working with starting strength coaches for online coaching, I've consistently added 70 to 80 pounds per year to my total. I've had no injuries outside of minor shoulder impingement and elbow discomfort, but nothing causes me to miss workouts. In 2020, I competed at around 200 pounds, and I now compete at 220. I'd like to think, as an amateur lifter, I take my training, nutrition, recovery, recovery seriously and with dedication. You've touched on this before, but if you can expand on how long someone like me can continue to make progress in strength gains, I'd appreciate it. With the proper training adjustments and attention to nutrition and recovery, how long can someone continue adding weight to the bar? Can you get stronger as a master's lifter into your mid-50s and beyond? Yeah, you can. No question. Absolutely. No question about it. Certainly you can. All right, I want to tell you what happens, all right? Uh, What happens to most people, in my experience, is that they get hurt. And injuries sideline your training. Now, if you are training correctly in the gym, typically – you don't get hurt in the gym. Where you get hurt is outside the gym. You get in a car wreck. You fall off of your roof. You know, a wolverine bites you on the ass. Happens every once in a while. You know, you get sick. You get profoundly ill with, you know, like Legionnaire's disease or something like that. Something sets back your training that didn't really have anything to do with your training, but that compromises you in terms of continuing the process of making progress under the bar. This is just life. This is typically what happens. You know, if you're doing BJJ or something like that, everybody's doing BJJ now. It's fighting. You'll get hurt. It's part of it because it's fighting. Fighting is where somebody gets hurt. Okay, and it's going to affect your training under the bar. You know, it just does. Now, I'm not suggesting that you don't do BJJ. I'm just saying that the reality of the situation is that nobody makes progress for 20 years in a row because you're going to get hurt somehow, some way, and that hurt, that injury is going to affect your training. And that's the normal, natural history of training for strength under the bar. Is The training for strength is perfectly benign you will continue making good progress as long as you can continue to remain uninjured outside the gym yeah injuries that happen under the bar usually uh resolve very very quickly you know it's uh, yeah they do you've been training for a while 
uh, it's all the other lifestyle shit that uh, puts people behind. But in, but just the age thing is uh, there's no reason to say that because you're over X age that you you have lost the potential to gain strength. I've trained plenty of guys in their fifties, some in their sixties who have I've trained eighty year olds who have gotten stronger. Put, we put, start people in their sixties all the time. We start frail women in their late sixties. Oh, I, I who mean, return to normal bone density in nine months for sure. But even even you know. guys who want to be stronger than they've ever been in their entire life, mm-hmm. uh, that's definitely possible. I've got you know, there's guys that are in their fifties that squat four hundred five for the first time. I mean, five hundred for the first time. This week <clears throat> on the website, there is a story about a ninety-nine year old lady who started in one of our gyms, who's now deadlifting over a hundred pounds. I met a ninety-two-year-old you know. in Boise the other day. I mean, um, there's there's people in their nineties training in our gyms. Yep. This woman that uh, have started. Yeah. In their nineties. Yeah. And they, we know yeah. how to start them off and not hurt them. We know how to do this. This woman was in her in her nineties when she she was ninety when she started. Well, I, I think she's been there for two years, but she was. What I heard was that she was falling constantly. And uh, man, she told me she was ninety-two and she looks about sixty-five. Yeah. Yeah, she's moving. I mean, just yeah. Not an issue. Not an issue that I could detect. She told me she's ninety two. I was like, oh shit, ninety <laughs> two. She's you know she's a genetic freak. There's no doubt about it. But you may be a genetic freak too. Right. You may not know you're a genetic freak. You might start off training with weights when you're seventy five years old, and squat three hundred pounds. It happens. But it doesn't happen if you don't train. Exactly. You, you've got to start. You've got to want to be stronger than you are now. And that requires that you understand why you should be stronger and the benefits of being stronger so that you can make that decision. Because strength is ultimately what you lose before you die. All right. It's it's such a fundamental physical characteristic. Um, strong people don't just lay down and die, like people that just lay down and die do. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Man, I remember a guy we used to used to play in our band with us. And his uh, his back started hurting, and this guy was not in particularly bad shape, but his back started hurting, and he went uh, to some doctor who told him to just take it easy, mm. and <clears throat> he wouldn't he wouldn't do anything, wouldn't come to the gym, wouldn't even entertain the idea of doing something to make himself stronger because his doctor had told him to just take it easy. Right. Somehow so, he's going to heal by so taking he, it easy. So he took it easy and was dead in five years. Yeah. Dead. For no apparent reason, was dead in five years. Because yeah. weak kills you. Yeah, how long? Weak <clears throat> is is fatal how long did john hold on 
after getting his pretty fucking terrible diagnosis. He was. Oh, they told him he was going to be dead in what six months. Yeah, he was given six months to live. He lived five years. Five years. Five years. Five years because he wouldn't quit training. And he would come into the gym just looking like shit and feeling like shit. And he'd still lift and get under the bar. And changed his whole lifestyle, changed his diet, you know, mm-hmm. did did what you told him. Um, and that motherfucker held on for five, five years. Five years <clears throat> after a six-month <laughs> prognosis. Yep. Because he wouldn't quit And being then multiple strong. surgeries during that time. Yes. Right? He had back surgeries and shit. That, oh, man. Fuck. Yep. Which yeah, those back surgeries good. might have contributed to him they dying. They did. Yeah. Oh, they for sure. Did. There's no yeah. doubt about yeah. it. Yeah. They for did. sure. He kept Back surgery is a bad idea, guys. He kept he listening to those doctors saying, we you can know, fix it, and then it wouldn't get this. fixed. Well, you, didn't, you, you ruined it last time. Well, we can fix, fix it, it this time. And again oh, and again okay. and again. You know, uh, you, you, t- typically, when you have low back surgery, that's just your first operation. Mm-hmm. You know, Hamilton's Same deal, had man. like six. Yeah. Six procedures done. You know, you start having low back surgery and you're just if if your low back hurts and the doctor tells you we can make it quit hurting, but you're getting around okay otherwise, just hurt. Just hurt. I know it's bad. Drink more. All right. Do something, but don't let them chop your low back up because it doesn't work very well. Drink more. Just drink more. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, look, oh, the paper's gone off the desk here. I guess we're through. I guess so. Is that enough? I think it's plenty. Is that enough for the day? Well, good. Is that a Pendleton shirt you've got on? It sure is. That, I was, I was wanting to comment on that. beautiful shirt. That right? is a very nice shirt. This, this was on – I was at the Pendles, Pendleton store. They have a Pendleton store in Boise. Dude. And this was this – was, on sale. Well, it's beautiful. And I said, I need that shirt. What did you give for it? It was, after all the discounts, it was like 80-something bucks. Oh, nice. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I've got several Pendleton Can I touch shirts. it? They're oh, beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. There's no, it's just nice. something about it's the nice. way wool dyes. Wool mm-hmm. takes a color better than yeah. any other mm-hmm. fabric. And yeah. uh, Pendleton shirts are after I got gorgeous it, this was, things. I was wearing this. As, it was 30 up there snowing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. This is this is what I wore uh, as a jacket. It was great. Yeah, it's a... It's a it's a. I've got several of those, and if you guys don't have Pendleton shirts, get one. Quit being a fucking pussy. Get yourself a Pendleton shirt. All right. You think that's good advice? I think it's great advice. Great advice. Yeah. Quit being a pussy. Get a Pendleton shirt. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that concludes another installment of. Well, this no. We'd said these were episodes, right? Right. Installments are comments from the haters. This is an episode of Starting Strength Radio, yes. and this is the official conclusion of this episode of Starting Strength Radio, and we will see you next week. Bye.